Hear now the word of God. Concerning this salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was, your, was to be yours searched and inquired carefully, inquiring what person or time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. It was revealed to them that they were serving not themselves but you and the things that have now been announced to you through those who preached the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things into which angels long to look. Thus ends the reading of God's holy, inspired, and inerrant word. May he lay its eternal truth in our hearts this evening. Let's pray together. Lord, would you convince us through your word tonight to put our hope in you and not in worthless things. Send your spirit into our hearts and steal away from us any tendency to distrust you or second guess your good plan for us. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. I had a serious problem with envy when I was a kid. Uh, I say that in the past tense, but it's also present tense. I'm still dealing with it. But when I was a child, I would occasionally make friends. It happened every now and then. And my friends would sometimes say, hey, come over to my house to play. Now, this was the, back in the day when a kid could just go to his friend's house. Um, you could just say, I'm coming to your house. Bye, mom. See you at dinner time. Now it's everyone's in the car. Let's all go. Let's stand in the living room and watch everyone play. Um, <laughs> but I would go to my friend's house and we would hang out. And I would notice I had a big issue whenever I would go to a friend's house because my friends would always have amazing things and they would not care about them at all. Um, I went to one of my friend's house. He had a Nintendo entertainment system, a massive Massive thing. Uh, Nintendo Entertainment System, when I was a child, was like the greatest thing that human beings had ever invented. Um, Better than sliced bread, better than anything you could think of. But I didn't have one. I had a crummy old Atari. And my, my friends had these Nintendos. And I went to my friend's house and I saw this Nintendo sitting there and it had dust on it. I said, how could this be? This is wrong. There is an injustice here. I said, you have a Nintendo. Why are we playing with G.I. Joes? And my friend, would, my friend would just say, I got bored with it. I couldn't believe it. You, you can't get bored with a Nintendo entertainment system. It's an entertainment system. It's all the happiness you could want in one little thing. Uh, does not compute. I couldn't figure it out. And this is what happens. Sometimes you only remember that something you have is precious. You only remember that something you have is important when you realize just how much someone else would love to have it. And we we get a kick in the pants every now and then. Um, We have a friend that comes over to one one of my kids' friends that comes over every now and then. And they eat all the fruit whenever they come over because they don't have fruit in their house. Their parents just don't buy fruit. Um, and meanwhile, we have to make our kids eat fruit, and we don't even do it successfully, and a lot of fruit goes bad. Um, just that kind of thing. It just every house is like that, I think. But I wonder if for us, the gospel isn't like that for us, you know? Uh, we have it. We've had it for years. 
it's a message that we may be very well accustomed to, and so we don't even really appreciate it. And, and it becomes no big deal to us. It's this wonderful thing that we have, and we don't even care. It's no big deal. It's just, it's just the gospel. Yeah, we've got that. That's one of our things that we have that gets dust on it. The message of the gospel is that Jesus Christ came into the world. He suffered and died to bear the penalty of his people. And if we repent of our sins and put our faith in Jesus, all those sins we've ever committed or ever will commit will be wiped away forever. And when God looks at us, he sees a righteous person instead of a sinful person. That's the gospel in its most shrunken down form that I can pull off. Um, And tonight's passage, Peter gives us a much needed reminder about that message. He says the gospel that you have heard and heard and have become almost a little too used to is something that is precious and highly sought after. He makes the case for that here. It's something that prophets and angels would have loved to know the whole picture of. Now, maybe for you, this is... This has happened. Maybe you have heard the gospel for so long and maybe you have become so accustomed to it. It's it's at the risk of not being good news, but instead it's old news. Maybe for you, the gospel was like a blazing fire, but now it's like warm coals that need to be awakened. In a way, I think what Peter does here in this passage is he he does something for us. He blows on the coals of the gospel. And he does it with the goal of reminding us that this is a precious, precious message and that we should fight tooth and nail to never get bored of it or ever, ever see it as old news. He never wants it to gather dust on our shelf. So let's look at how Peter plans to do this. How is he going to blow blow on the coals of our hearts? He, He does it through three points, a foretold hope, a fulfilled hope. And a fitting hope. Um, Peter begins blowing on the coals of our hearts by reminding us that the gospel of Christ was a foretold hope. In verse 10, Peter makes this statement. He begins by saying, concerning this salvation, the prophets who prophesied it inquired carefully. So if you spend much time reading the Old Testament prophets like Isaiah and Jeremiah and Ezekiel and so on, you can begin to believe that all these men ever did was speak words of condemnation to people. Uh, Babylon's going to crush you. Assyria's going to destroy your capital. Uh, You'll be taken away because you've been unfaithful. And, And when you think of those prophets, there's a danger where we could think that all they did was negative work. And we forget that a lot of the ministry, a lot of the ministry of the prophets was actually centered on pointing forward to better things. So their message was largely warnings about the way they were living and what would come from it. But that is not all they did. That's not the totality of the work of the prophets because they also did something so important that Peter draws us to here. They pointed beyond that moment to a greater peace that was going to come. And it was a peace that they didn't get to see. But they looked forward to it. See, the theme of the whole Old Old Testament, when you really boil it down, is the theme of salvation. Peter says, concerning this salvation, the prophets spoke. 
If you really want to boil down the work of the prophets, that's the, that's the message of the prophets. Salvation in a single word. The Bible is a book about how we can be saved from our sins. Saved from the worst thing about us. It's about more than that, but it's not about less than that. It's never about less than that. And, and it's the theme that binds the Old and the New Testaments together. Um, so Peter also says the Bible's a book about God's grace given to us. He says that the prophets spoke of the grace that was to come to you. So let's just appreciate for a moment what Peter is, is saying here. Um, if you've ever been tempted to think of the Old Testament as a book about how angry God is, and you think of the New Testament as a book about how kind and gracious God is, Peter turns that inside out. Peter is saying that the Old Testament is a book where the prophets proclaim that not only this theme of salvation and not only the theme of, the, of God's grace, but the gospel itself. When we read the Old Testament, we are reading a gospel book. When we read the Old Testament, we are reading a book of grace. Now, there are differences. If In the Old Testament, Christ hadn't come yet. All they could do, all they could do was yearn for him. They yearned for Jesus. All they could do was desire him and desire his salvation. And they could just pray for the day when faith would be sight. A few months ago, there was a famous TV preacher, and he was quoted as saying in one of his sermons that Christianity needed to be untethered from the Old Testament. But see, here's the thing, and you you see this in this passage. If we ever did that, if we untethered from the Old Testament, we wouldn't just lose a few laws. And we wouldn't just lose a few passages about judgment. Peter tells us we would lose the gospel. We would lose the theme of salvation. We'd lose all the promises of grace for sinners. Um, All those things that don't just belong in the Old Testament. They saturate the Old Testament. And so I call this first point a foretold hope precisely because that's the faith the Old Testament saints and prophets lived by. They lived by a faith without sight. They looked forward to the Savior of mankind coming as one of us, bearing our sins in some way. I mean, they didn't understand exactly how he was going to do it, but they knew he was going to come and making certain the grace that they knew we would desperately need. Another way that Peter works to blow on the coals of our hearts when it comes to the gospel is he reminds us that we don't just have a foretold hope, but we have a fulfilled hope. A fulfilled hope is a completed hope. It's, it's a hope that's, that's all here now. It's all here now. Um, there are actually very few things in life that are more exciting than, than, than being engaged to be married. Uh, you know, whenever I would have David and Suzanne in the office, they, just, they both looked like their heads were going to explode every minute until the wedding came. Uh, there are just very few things quite as thrilling as being engaged to be married. You know, that time when you have this thing on the horizon, this thing that you are so looking forward to, and then the day comes and the anticipation is just killing you and you think you might die, you're so excited. But eventually the day of the wedding does come And when it does come, you realize that there really is something greater than anticipation. It's actually getting the thing that you were so excited about. It's a fulfilled hope. 
That's what's beautiful about wedding days, right? Fulfilled hope right in front of you, just in a picture that you could see. And Peter is quite insistent that there is more to the gospel than just looking forward to something way out there. The prophets were excited. They inquired eagerly, but they didn't know everything. Look what the passage says the prophets didn't know. It's, it says that they, they prophesy Jesus, they, they, they speak the words of the, of the gospel, but they don't know some stuff. It says they inquired what person or time the Spirit was indicating when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. So think of what Peter is saying that they did know. They knew a Savior was coming. They knew a Savior was going to suffer. They knew a Savior was going to be glorified. They knew that Savior was going to bear the sins of God's people, but they didn't know his name, according to Peter, and they didn't know when he'd be born. Those are two huge blanks. As a young Christian, one of the biggest questions I had And it stayed with me for years. I wanted to know it, and I felt like I never got the answer. How did people in the Old Testament get saved? Jesus hadn't come yet. He hadn't died on the cross yet. How did they get saved? If they couldn't trust in Jesus yet, how could they be saved? And the Bible does tell us. There's this amazing line in in Galatians 3a where Paul says that God, word for word says, God preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham. That is just, I love that verse. I love that verse. I read the Old Testament with that passage in mind. God preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham. In other words, even in the Old Testament, they knew the gospel. They knew the message that we proclaim each week. There is a savior for sinners. There is a perfect sacrifice for us. There is forgiveness of sins if we trust in him. We should live for God because he doesn't hold our sins against us. And how does the Bible say someone like Abraham could be saved? It says Abraham could be saved through faith, by believing in Jesus. That's what, that's what I say in the pulpit each week. I hope that's what you hear each week. The same message that saved Abraham is the message that saves us too. What's the difference then? What separates how Old Testament saints were saved from how New Testament saints today are saved. Well, if I could put it very simply, the prophets and the saints looked forward. They just, they strained to see that day that was coming when one day faith would be sight. And we look back and in a sense, we do the same, right? We strain, we say, I want to see Jesus. And every week, hopefully, we come into this place, we say, I want to see Jesus. And we strain and we squint and we say, I need the Lord, just like they did. We search the scriptures just like they did. And see, if, without seeing, they had to hear the promise that a Savior was coming and they had to believe even though he hadn't come yet. Think about this. Adam heard the gospel in the garden in Genesis 3.15. He, he heard those words to the serpent. There's a, seed, there's a seed coming that's going to crush the serpent's head. And he had to look forward to the serpent crusher, even though he couldn't see the serpent crusher. But he knew that seed was going to come. 
And then Abraham looked forward and Jesus says in John 8, 56, your father Abraham rejoiced that he would see my day. Think about that. Abraham, he's all the way back in Genesis 15. And this guy at the very beginning of the book of Genesis is thinking about Jesus. And he's fixing his eyes on Jesus And he's looking forward to Jesus. He's actually rejoicing in Jesus. David looked forward. God tells him in 2 Samuel 7, I'm going to give you a son. He's going to sit on your throne forever. He'll never die. And he'll be there for all mankind. He tells David that. And what does David do? He looks forward and he rejoices. And he fixes his eyes on his son who's going to come someday. And the list of people in the Old Testament who looked forward goes on and on. But Jesus has come. And now here we are. The posture of the believer changes, right? Because in the Old Testament, the church looked forward. And now that he's come, we, what do we do? We turn our necks back. If I hadn't slept so poorly, I could actually do that. <laughs> Um, that's what we do now. We turn our necks and we look behind. So you see this forward-looking posture in Scripture, one of, the most, one of the most beautiful moments in the entire Bible. One of the most beautiful illustrations of this principle is in the Gospel of Luke. After, after baby Jesus is born, his parents take him to the temple, and there is this man there named Simeon. And Scripture tells us that this man has the Holy Spirit, and God has told this man something precious. Just listen to this precious word that that Simeon heard. Luke says this, And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came in the Spirit into the temple, and when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, he took him up in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now you're letting your servant depart in peace. According to your word, for my eyes have seen your salvation that you have prepared in the presence of all the peoples, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people, Israel. Do you hear this weary man? He spent his whole life looking forward to this moment when he could see this child. This is one of those rare moments Uh, where one of those rare people in all of the history of salvation who actually spends their life hoping and looking forward to seeing the Savior someday, and he actually gets to lay his eyes on the child. He actually sees what he had hoped for all his life. He sees the Messiah. He sees the Savior. And Simeon's response is, now I can die in peace. All I ever wanted came true because I saw the thing I always hoped for. Hoped for. Isn't that amazing? Let's live vicariously through Simeon here just for a moment because here Simeon is. He's, he's on the cusp of these two eras. He was born in the Old Testament era. He was born before the coming of Jesus, but he dies in the new. He looked forward to the Messiah, but after meeting Jesus, he has seen the one that he looked to. We should, we should have that kind of yearning for Jesus in our hearts. We're, all it is is a difference in time. We're on this side. 
yearn for him the way that Simeon yearned to meet him. So Peter points us to a foretold hope. He points us to a fulfilled hope. And finally, Peter fans the coals of our hearts into flame by finally showing us that Jesus Christ is a fitting hope. In other words, he's worth all our best thoughts. He's worth all our best dedication. One of the big assumptions Peter makes here is that all of us are going to follow the examples of the prophets. So, so, So Peter has this assumption, just like they searched and inquired, we should do the same. We should treat our Bibles the same. This is a search and inquire mission each time when we open our Bibles. Because just like the prophets wanted to know Jesus, we should want to know Jesus. Just like they yearned for his presence, so should we. And notice that the prophets inquired carefully. They didn't just inquire. They inquired carefully. Think of the time and energy that it actually takes to look in the Bible and read it carefully. Maybe you read the Bible. Sometimes you can read it in quite a rush. Sometimes you can even be running out the door and hopefully you at least take a look at it. But they inquired carefully. How much time and energy do you put into knowing this thing that the prophets would have died to know? Spend their lives yearning to know. Do you study the scriptures? Are, are you a student of the Bible? Notice in verse 12 what Peter says. He He talks about the salvation as things into which angels long to look. This is just crazy to think about this. We have more than they did. Um, Angels are not beings who are outside of time. Uh, Angels, uh, unlike God, who knows all things because he knows all moments and all times because he decreed them all. Angels aren't like that. Angels live in time and space. They experience a succession of moments just like we do. And so you could picture the angels sort of existing alongside of mankind and watching uh, salvation unfold. And you can almost see their own curiosity as they say, yes, this is, a, this is a gospel that's for mankind. It's not for us. It's not for the angels. And yet, at, in, in the same way, I want to see what our God is up to. What is he doing with these creatures? How much do we inquire carefully about the gospel, though? Combing over the scriptures like they did to to better know what it means to be saved, to set our eyes on the Lord. These are things we know that even the angels don't get to experience for themselves, not like we do. They long to look. It's hard for us to imagine angels longing. We don't think of angels longing for anything, but that's exactly what they do. This thing that... That can be so, we can be so casual about, they strain and yearn and try to know as much as they can. And yet, very likely, we can go a whole day without thinking or giving this truth a second thought. This is a fitting hope. It's, it's worth your time, it's worth your best effort, it's worth your expended energy and your best thoughts and prayers to know, will you dedicate yourself to this message? Will you make your whole life about this message? It is a message that is so precious. Jesus in Matthew 13, 17 reminded his listeners, he said, many kings and prophets have desired to see the things which you see and have not seen them. You 
have seen Jesus, if you've seen Jesus, if you set your eyes on Jesus, you have seen the one desired by kings and prophets. They would have given anything to see him and know him. And if you're a Christian, do you know just how precious that thing is that you have? Do you know just how desirable the gospel is? Have you maybe forgotten how much you need it? Your practices show that you know it and you live it. Might God this evening be challenging you to rededicate yourself, to set your hope on Jesus in a fresh way, to sort of blow the dust off of this truth that you thought you knew completely and fully, and you've realized, I haven't even begun. Peter's challenge for all of us tonight is that we wouldn't look at the gospel as old news, that every day we really would see it as the new news, the good news, as the thing that we search for, the thing that we search out and we long to look into and we dedicate our best thoughts and hopes and energies into finding out. Let's pray. Lord, without your spirit, we will be dulled to the truths that you've shown us. One of the ways that Satan works is if he can't remove the truth of religion from us, he will twist it and pervert it or find a way to stop us from dwelling on it. Oh God, we need you to give us the spirit of Christ, the same spirit that spoke to the prophets. We need you to give him to us so that new life can be breathed into us. We need life where there may be little. We need energy where there may be weakness. We need zeal where there may be dullness. But would you protect us from ever seeing your good news as another piece of information? No, this is the precious gospel that prophets and angels and kings yearned to know. And we know it. Give us that same yearning we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.